we left off at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You think you've heard that before? Yeah, it's the whole... He, Paul is what we've... What I feel like I've painfully been through is the whole giving thing for the last couple of weeks, and he's finally finishing up in chapter 9 the giving thing. And uh, so he's challenged the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, and he's not there. He's writing this letter from Macedonia, another place. And he's encouraging them to give to the Jerusalem fund, which is going to help the people in Judea. And so he spent a few words, chapters 8 and 9, talking about this principle of giving. And he's wanting them to take up this collection uh, out of joy. So let's get into it. He says, verse 6, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. That idea from Paul is really an Eastern thought, but it's also, he pulls it from Proverbs 22.8, where he says, the one who sows injustice will reap disaster, and the rod is his fury will be destroyed. He's explaining and saying that if you sow this, this is what you get. If you sow this, this is what you get. You're going to reap this. There's also the verse in Hosea 8, 7. It says, indeed, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And I'm telling you, uh, you're going to get whatever you put into it. Like, literally, if you just come here today to hang out with people you're that's probably what you're going to get if you come here expecting okay lord i want you to speak to me today i want you to teach me something today i want to hear you today it's probably what you're going to get we do that all the time with the roman study as you know we pass that out uh freely i've sent a copy to a, a friend this week and that Roman study is pretty intense, but you get out what you put into it. If you look up every verse and, and, and answer the questions and everything else, you, I think the Holy Spirit will show you something incredible. And this is really what Paul's saying the same thing when he's talking about giving. You, you can take that with any aspect of your life. Uh, you can take that with food intake. You can take that with exercise. You can take that with your, your budgeting and your finances. It's like whatever you put into it, that's what you're going to get out of it. He says in verse 7, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. He's saying not by feelings or not by pressure. I'm not pressuring you to give, he's saying, to the Jerusalem fund. He, there's no pressure. You just do it out of pure joy. And if the Lord leads you to do it, then I encourage you to do it. It's going to bring you great joy since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything that you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He literally quoted Psalms 112, verse 9. He's taking Old Testament passages, and he's saying, 
this is our theology, this is our understanding of giving as it was directed to us through the Old Covenant. Now, in the Old Covenant, kind of came across as the law. This is what you do, you give 10%. But now that we are no longer, you and I, and the church at Corinth are no longer under the law, it's a matter of there's this spirit that lives inside of us that directs us. That spirit will tell you to give. That spirit will tell you not to give. That spirit will tell you who to give to. That spirit speaks to me, and I know he speaks to you. That's the beauty of it. Verse 10, he says, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. That, that, that right there is, I said to someone this morning, I said, have you ever missed a meal? In other words, hasn't the Lord always provided for you? I'm not saying some of you haven't missed a meal, but uh, think, think about that. He's all your life provided you with shelter, provided you with food, provided you with the necessities. The, you may think that you've done this on your own, but it's really the Lord that's done it. He's the one that... And so everything that I have, I believe, comes from the Lord and is his. And I try not to let my flesh be the one that just takes it and holds on to it and controls it, but to literally open up and say, okay, Lord, this is yours. I trust you. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He's saying this ministry that you're carrying out, that the Corinthians are already doing, he's talking about their ministry of giving, of being involved in meeting other people's needs. He's saying you do this out of leadership from the Spirit in you, and because of that, you receive joy. I get that some may say, if you sow, then you will reap a great harvest, and it may refer to a financial harvest. I, I'm not saying that this morning. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the harvest is absolute joy because you were obedient to the Father, that you listened to the Spirit, and because of that, I think great things will happen, but one of them is the joy that's expressed in you. He says, it is not only doing that, it's not only meeting people's needs, but it's also having a bigger impact so the people are being made thankful to God because of the ministry that's being simulated in the, the context of faithful giving. Like, there's joy to it. He says in verse 13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. They're, what they're doing here is they're using money as a tool for the advancement of the kingdom. <laughs> you, you hear that a lot in church today. 
We need to advance the kingdom. We need to make it bigger. Give money, give money. I'm telling you today, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I, I was having a conversation. It's not about the money. It's about teaching the good news. It's about teaching the gospel. And, and right there it says, uh, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. I'm confessing Christ to you today. I'm confessing that he is the way, that he will free you up from the law. He will free you up, and you have the spirit inside of you. And as I teach that, I believe people will give out of, man, this is great news. Other people need to hear this. And that, that's honestly one of the reasons we don't take an offering here. We don't pass a plate. We don't have a joy box in the back. We do, we, I know you're going to give because the spirit leads you to give. Watch, he closes up right here. It, it, it comes down to trusting this principle of the harvest. You know, it, 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 it takes faith for us to, to administer it this way. It took faith not to ask for money. It did. But watch, he says, and as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The people in Judea will give praise. The Jews will give praise to the Gentiles because what Jesus has done through them, that's an amazing thought to think about. We have much to celebrate of what God is doing through you. I, the timing, you know, always the timing of the message but this was, is my homework this month. You know what this is? These are my contribution statements that are going out this week. That's like what you guys have done this past year financially. I'm required by the IRS to do this. But I have a joy of actually writing to you and saying thank you for doing ministry. And because of this, we have much to celebrate, not because of this, but because of what Jesus is doing in you and through us. I told you, I told you just a few weeks ago about one of the areas of ministry that you've done recently. Our friend Logan, Mike and Danny and some of us in this room have gone down and helped Logan in Fort Worth, Texas. Logan has uh, muscular dystrophy, She's pretty much laid up in bed, is reliant upon machines, everything else. And last year, last year in Texas, they had the, the blackouts, and her electricity went out, her oxygen shut down, all of her machines shut down, and there was a great panic. And I stay in contact with her, and she goes, I need a generator, and we said, okay, let's see what the Lord does. We... Levener seeded the first part of it. I sent a letter out to all my college friends. One of them has several RV stores, and he literally provided the generator along with the gifts from the other people. But because you seeded that, I got this message this week. Rusty, hey, this is Logan Quattlebaum. I was calling to say 
it came out 10:45 on Thursday morning, um, January 20, 21st, something like that. I was calling to say that the electricity just went off, and five seconds later, <laughs> everything came back on, and um, I don't know what's going on with the electrical around here and the neighborhood, but anyway. Uh, my heater's on and my oxygen's on, and I just, I really don't have words, but thank you. And right now it's 26 degrees, and it said it feels like 11, so you can just know what that would be like and not being able to operate my machinery to get transferred, you know, to the wheelchair and the oxygen and all that. So God bless you. God really used you. He uses your giant heart. You and Michelle are precious to me. And I thank you. And I love you. Bye. Michelle and I didn't do that. God did that through you. And I'm thankful. I know you, most most of you don't know Logan here, some of you do. But that's what you do. That's, that's just one small piece of what you do. I wish I could, I wish I could boast more about what you do, but, you know, there's some privacy I call, I called Logan that night, and I'm like, can I share that voicemail with my friends? She's like, absolutely. Thank them. Tell them I love them. So Paul's like, celebrate what the Lord is doing through you, the church at Corinth. He's doing the same thing in this small little bar. It's crazy. And then he just totally changes everything. We've finally done with the giving part. But now, these next three chapters, chapters 10 through 13, we hear a very different tone from Paul because... He's confronting, he uses some sarcasm at places, but he's confronting the false teachers, which he's already done previously. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I always love this when people say this. I who am humble. I who am humble among you in person, but towards but." bold toward you when absent. I beg that when I am present, I will not, not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. When Paul founded this church in Corinth, his whole purpose was to exalt Christ and not himself. Christians usually the grow the way that they're born. If they are born in an atmosphere of dictatorial leadership, they grow up depending on man's wisdom and strength. But if they're born in an atmosphere of humility and love, they learn to depend upon the Lord. Paul wanted his converts to trust the Lord. Not the servant. It wasn't about Paul. Paul spends a lot of time crediting his, 
the, his authority and his ministry and his authenticity of it all, he, he has to build that because he's literally in a battle with false teachers. What is the difference between Paul and these other teachers? I believe they were Judaizers. I would believe that they were people that saying, Paul's not teaching the full gospel message. I teach, I teach and hear that we're not under the law. Many other churches around us will teach that they are under the law, that we still are under the Ten Commandments, that we still have to do these. I obviously teach uh, the, the stuff we read about as Paul's quoting the Old Covenant. That's what's important to God. But I have this Holy Spirit in, in me that's going to guide me and it's not going to contradict the law. But I live my life by this Holy Spirit. I don't need the Ten Commandments posted on my wall next to me. I don't need that. I, I, I have something much greater than that being posted on Facebook or posted on the wall. I have this living God inside of me and he talks to me and he walks with me and he, he lives my life for me when I let him. My choice. And that's what he's saying. Either you walk by your flesh, you do it your own strength, or you, you walk by the Spirit. He says in verse 3, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. You know, the language that he uses here is a specific kind of warfare. It's called a, a siege warfare. It's literally where a city has built up walls around its territory, its geography. And so when the enemy comes in, they literally have to build a ramp. If you've been to Masada with me in Israel where they built this fortress up on the mountain. They had to, the Romans had to build a ramp to get up there to take siege of the Masada and to literally break down the walls to come in and siege. This is literally the language that Paul is using when he's talking about this warfare. It's powerful to break the strongholds. And therefore, when you take this city, you lay siege to the city. This is what Paul is using. I'm a strong believer in spiritual warfare. Today. I, I know that freaks some of you out. I was telling Jeannie this morning, I was like, I've battled, I've bat literally battled the last two Saturday nights trying to get sleep. I can't shut this off. I got to go to sleep. I got to get sleep. I got a big day tomorrow. And I lay there for hours, hours, battling, 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 trying to change my thoughts. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. I believe there's a spiritual battle going on right now. 
like this minute in my head what I'm teaching. It's a battle. I know I'm not the only one in here. I know that. And he goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Notice right here that Paul's emphasis is on the issues of thoughts. Theological issues are really critical in what is going on because people are going to live out by the way that they think. So Paul's ideas of, of tearing down the wall of their ideas and capturing the enemy soldiers was a second step in the siege warfare. Like, if this is the place that's taking siege and the thoughts like me just laying there last night, I, I literally have to think about Bible verses. I have to think about, I can't stop the thoughts. I can't stop thinking. But I can control what I think about. I can change that. You know, and so I, I would go, I would start, I would start, you know, thinking about the good things and thinking about my family and then all of a sudden it would like weed its way back into like pressures and yada yada and then I like oh, I got to go back to my thoughts and you know the battle this is literally what he's saying is that you have to take every thought captive and I could literally sit there and go this is a lie this is a lie this is a lie this is truth this is truth well how do I know what it's truth because I'm basing it upon this right here I know this I know this this is truth and not every thought that comes through my head is truth. And so this is what he's saying. I have to take every thought captive. There's a battle going on to obey Christ. I have to think about it. Verse 7, it says, Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, let him remind himself of this. This is what Sunday mornings is. Literally, it's a brainwashing here on Sunday mornings. I want you to be here because I want you to hear that right there. You belong to Christ. You're a child of God. You're holy. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're redeemed. You have to hear that constantly because of the thoughts that are being pounded into your head by the power of sin that dwells in our flesh. It is a battle. He, he, he literally starts, if anyone has convinced himself, one of the ways Paul refers to these false teachers, these Judaizers, is by using this ambiguous idea of anyone or a certain person he doesn't even do them the dig dignity of naming them. He just leaves it kind of ambiguous, if anyone. And he says, if these people are claiming to be from Christ, they need to consider the fact that they really are from Christ. Verse 8, he says, For I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave. 
Where does Paul's authority come from? He says, the Lord. The Lord gave me the authority. I didn't create my own authority. I didn't write the books. I didn't, I didn't do all this. This is the Lord doing this. About our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for tearing you down. I will not be put to shame. Literally, these false teachers were coming in, and they were talking about their own accomplishments, what they have done in ministry. Paul's boasting about what the Lord, who gave me authority over teaching the Corinthians, he he literally brought me in here, and I told you about Jesus. And the Lord gave me the authority to do that. Do they have that authority? Verse 9, it says, I don't want to seem as though I'm trying to terrify you with my letters. This is interesting. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Let such a person consider this, what we are in our letters, when we are absent, we will also be in our actions when we are present. Present. I've told you that story that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, the letter that we do not have, and it was a very harsh, severe, he describes it as severe letter to them. Uh, some, and again, some people think it's about the dude that's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and uh, I don't. I think it was about these false teachers, I think it was about the Judaizers because he's, he, he, he's literally talking about this letter right here. I know that was a harsh letter and it was a severe letter and you heard my passion. You heard my passion in the letter. And because you heard it and the Spirit spoke to you, you responded and repented. There was a change that came. There was power in the letter. Now, when Paul comes into town, he considers himself, and he says this often, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not. I'm not that great. I do better with the letters. The letters the Spirit uses, but... And this is in total contrast to the false teachers, because the false teachers were very educated. They were very slick. They're very smooth in their talk. The people love listening to them. They were attractive. They knew how to make the message that they were giving very attractive. And the people were getting response through Paul's letters greater than they were through his speaking abilities. <laughs> Public speakers and 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 so much of that kind of professional speakers look good and they're speaking powerful and they'll be able to move people with words. They can, they can manipulate. They can control. They can put, they're, they're salespeople. It's literally what he's saying. They can close the deal. But they're often criticized and they have very little content. They can just really wow the crowd. But they don't have the biblical content. Paul's like saying, listen, we're giving you the truth. In 
chapter 13, he's going to point out that when he arrives in Corinth, the power of Christ is going to bring those people in line. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But verse 12, it says this, For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. He used themselves quite a bit there. He says that they're overstepping ministry boundaries right there. They're getting into areas that they have not have been assigned by the Lord. The boasting that these opponents were doing involved them commending themselves. Like, if you have to, if you have to get to the point where you're comparing yourself in what you do, in your theology, in other things with other people, he's literally saying... That isn't right. The only thing that matters is that you're teaching the truth from the authority of God. The human standard where we're tempted to kind of line ourselves up to the next somebody else and look how great I am by perhaps maybe even tearing them down, that happens all the time in our community. So you have the standards they're very much on a human level, even in the church today. So what these false teachers are doing, are they're, they're comparing themselves by others who are kind of in their own league, and Paul's saying that's not really an appropriate spiritual way to think about who's qualified for ministry. If you're qualifying yourself based upon what everybody else is doing, someone texted me yesterday morning and was questioning seminary, seminary, you know, with the training place where you go and train pastors to do basically the same thing. And I literally graduated with people who had never even taught a Sunday school class. Like, they had never done ministry before. And that's a place where you get educated and you basically are learning from what everybody else is doing rather than listening to the spirit and what the spirit's leading you to do there's another standard that needs to be in play and that is what the lord considers worthy of boasting about watch verse 13 it says we however will not boast beyond measure but according to the measure of the area of ministry that god has assigned us to which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we've not reached you since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We're not boasting beyond measure about other people's labors. On the contrary, we have the hope that as our faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel to the regions beyond you without boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. We don't take an offering for a reason. Because I grew up where you take an offering so you can provide for the staff, where you can provide for 
the different ministries, children's ministries, youth ministries, and, and so forth. You did that, and it was part of the machine. But can you come here on a Sunday morning and you teach the Word? Just teach, teach not three points and illustrations and a fancy message, but just teach the Word. And it be enough to sustain itself. Not only sustain itself, but to grow. That people actually get excited about the Word of God. That it's not about Rusty, it's not about Levener, it's not about these people, it's literally about Jesus Christ. If it comes down to me, you're in trouble. Trust me, I will fail you, I have failed you. It's not about me. It's about trusting Jesus as we sow the truth, we reap the harvest out of pure joy. Lord, I trust you with that message. For years now, you've proved yourself with that stack of papers, with the presence of these people, with your spirit in this body, you've proved yourself over and over and over again. Let us believe let us trust. Let us walk. Let us enjoy. Let us do things out of obedience to you, just listening to you, just hearing you. And may we experience pure joy. Joy that comes from nothing else but you. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.